Loud and Clear, the podcast by Sada for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. Ryan Dam, CEO of Visby. Tony, thank you. Welcome to Cloud and Clear. <laughs> Cloud and Clear. Super excited to meet you in your offices in San Francisco. And uh, I love to get into what, what Visby's doing, but I think to create the appropriate context, I want to know more about Ryan Dam, the man. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a lot to know. <laughs> I think um, all of our experiences kind of bring us to where we are today. And I think what you're doing with uh, Visby is super interesting. And it's, it's a completely new realm that I didn't really know existed until I was preparing for this. But um, I'd love to know you know, your background, your experience, I was reading the profile, just super fascinated, obviously way above my sort of uh, <laughs> experience and, and realm and, and possibly IQ, but um, I'd love to hear about how you got here. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of a classic camera geek, uh, camera nerd, but I've been playing around with kind of fun optical stuff for pretty much my entire career. That's kind of the through line. Um, you know, I was playing around with big camera arrays to do bullet time back in the early 2000s. Um, was prototyping my own camera gear. Bullet um, time. Yeah, so you put a lot of cameras in a row, and then you kind of uh, take frames from each camera successively, like the Matrix shot, you know. The Matrix be like falling shot, out. Yeah. of course. So I had a bunch, I was super low budget indie, was wiring together these disposable digital cameras, yeah. uh, and you know, farting around with that 20 years ago, which is, now I've got bigger arrays of cameras, so right. it's sort of, you know, closed loop. Uh, but I've always been a big hardware nerd, and you know, was fabricating lenses, and you know, playing around with optics, uh, while kind of kind of shooting commercials, and you know, just being an indie, indie uh, you know, video guy. Have you always been in San Francisco? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, cool. yeah. Um, so then I got into the startup scene. Um, actually, an a open access prototyping lab hired me because I was making optics there and they just kind of pulled me in-house. And that got me into working at startups. Uh, and then I shot a commercial for a startup in the fitness space and that led to like a 10-year digression of um, <laughs> you know, filming trail runs and trail rides and stuff. You know, Literally running down mountains with big digital cinema cameras. When you do one thing well, they keep asking you to do the same thing. Yeah, it's a real problem. That's just yeah. how it is. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> They're like, you did this really well. Could you do a lot more of it? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. So, so anyway, that was, uh, that's actually how I got into VR originally was we were looking at the next medium, the next more immersive way to, at the time, for the company I was working for, um, give people the experience as though they were running outdoors. Um, and so we started playing around with VR. It's terrible for fitness. I mean, you'll get nauseated, <laughs> right? Um, but the VR was compelling enough. I completely shifted my career and said, this is, this is the right place for experimenting with optics and cameras and, and really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, Even this, that relatively immersive sort of fitness video um, uh, technology that was you know, very novel at the time, very new at the time. Isn't this amazing, the technology curve? is like things that were like very hard to do and complex <laughs> 10 years ago, like we were like, we totally take it for granted. Yeah, and it's a little dangerous if you're trying to build that technology because it's like you're running on a treadmill. I mean, when we yeah. started doing the fitness video stuff, we built our own hardware-stabilized camera platforms, and now you can just you can buy them for like 20 bucks on Amazon, that's right? Amazing. So you know you gotta. That, that's actually why, honestly, we kind of aimed really far in the future for Visby. Is like we didn't want to build something that was going to be commoditized in a year or two. Mm -hmm. um, we really wanted to do something that was uh, hadn't been done anywhere, and and kind of build the foundation and, and build a product around it. The opposite extreme of that was the story you just told me in the hall about Lytro. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You can be too early. <laughs> yeah. From from like uh, 
uh, public reveal to the Computer History Museum in 18 months? I think that was the number, yeah. Yeah, Life it's a uh, story. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, they, they're an interesting company, and honestly, I'm doing what I'm doing in part because of Lytro. Sure. Um, I consulted for them very briefly in like 2008 or 2009, mm -hmm. just as like a camera geek. Hey, what do you want to use this technology for? Mm -hmm. um, and so that got me interested in light fields, and I started collecting research around light fields from then on. Meanwhile, you know, Lytro kind of had this very large kind of growth and, and decline. They raised mm -hmm. a ton of money spent a ton of money, solved some very hard problems, um, but at times it was you know, solving it by saturating it with money. Um, and of course, now the things they're trying to do are much easier to do. Um, for example, uh, you know, the price of computing, the availability yes. of certain kinds of AI, like a lot of the stuff they had to do incrementally, step by step, you know, by throwing money and engineers at the problem are now like, considerably easier. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of it is in the processing these days too, right? It's not oh, yeah. just the lens, it's, oh, yeah. just the, it's, it's the processing and, um, you know, I'm kind of a, a tech geek, like on the mobile side and mm -hmm. things like that. It's just uh, partly because of our work with Google and like tracking these ecosystems and what these different phones do with different cameras, right? Like mm -hmm. the quality of the of the shot in the camera phone. And I think the Pixel Three got a lot of credit for doing with one lens what a lot of other manufacturers try to do with multiple lenses. Yep. And it was yep. purely due to the processing. Like they're just yeah. processing was superior, right? Like to me, that's like a pedestrian example of what processing has done in the realm of like just mobile photography, which is the way that most people experience photography. That's actually a hyper-relevant example. I think, you know, we're long past the point where a, a pixel on your phone is a pixel on the image later, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many chains of software in between that. Mm -hmm. And on the mobile side in particular, I think we're actually about to see a massive shift in the span of a few months. Uh, we have a pretty good authority that um, the next cameras that are coming out, both from Apple and the Android ecosystem, are going to have really good depth sensors on them. Mm. And I think that's going to really change where the algorithms play and what they do. Um, in the short term, it's going to mean people are going to be using a lot more compute uh, yeah. for their imaging. Is it, is it, is it um, time of flight sensors? That's what I heard. So again, this is just what I hear through the yeah. grapevine. Um, but yeah, something I'm like that. I'm starting to see state. those come up on mobile, like time of flight yep. camera. That yep. Certain things. It's super interesting for me again, just from a consumer standpoint. It was yeah. possible to put in the, you know, the hands of the average consumer at scale. Um, and so, you know, the technology, the, the, the light field, like, can you just start from there? Because, yeah. like, what is a light field? <laughs> it's not something we, we hear about. That's fair. That's that, yeah, yeah. probably the average listener has never even heard of that. Right. Yeah. What is a light field? Yeah, yeah. so I mean, a light field is really just a way of describing all the light in a space, right? So if you yeah. think of a traditional photograph, what you're really doing is you're, you're building an image out of the light that happens to fall just on that camera lens in that one spot. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think of the, the, uh, the scope of all possible photos you could take that would be sampling all the light across a large area, that's effectively a light field. And so what we do at Visby and what other companies who've, who've played around in light fields like Lytro have done is try to find ways to understand that entire uh, field of light, all of light in an area. Um, and it lets you do lots of very, very interesting things. But it's a hard problem. There's no mm -hmm. practical way to actually capture all of the light. Um, right. Physically, you cannot overlap cameras enough to capture every single light ray. Right. If you could, you'd still be looking at somewhere from petabytes to even exabytes per photo. Uh, because if you can imagine a very, very high-resolution camera... The storage to, part. Yeah, exactly. Just the storage just part. Just storage alone. But the capturing part, this is one of your early prototypes, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Even the capturing part yeah. <laughs> is hard, let alone the storage part. Well, we're throwing out like 99.99999% of the light here because only light that passes through the very center of the aperture is actually contributing to any images. So we're already massively undersampling it. Mm. And even at that, the data rates are quite high. 
Mm. Um, we so the arrays we've been using lately compress on the fly. This is years old, so course, yeah, very yeah. much. That's why it sits I, in the conference it's room. It's a piece of art. Yeah, exactly, it's exactly. Yeah. It's a conversation piece, right? <laughs> it's our, our coffee table, yeah. uh, you know, object of art. Um, yeah, there are current arrays, even though they compress on the fly, we're still talking gigabytes per second, which is tractable. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you take gigabytes per second and you shoot about a part of an hour, and then to process it into a light field, you have to uncompress it. So when, when we're actually doing this stuff up in the cloud, the, the footprint gets quite large. Right. So. And do you think some of the work that you're able to do now is directly due to the scale and oh, processing yeah. power of cloud? Absolutely. So, I mean, again, Softball I... Softball question. Yes. I yeah, yeah. Right. right. <laughs> uh, compute's a big deal. Um, you know, if these light fields are, you know, uh, many, many gigabytes, terabytes uncompressed, you have to be able to throw a lot of compute at them to make sense of them. Mm-hmm. The very first light field we encoded, we actually borrowed, uh, you know, an on-prem cluster that a friend of mine had built. Mm-hmm. And we, I think it was 100 computers, each with eight cores, ran for an entire three-day weekend. And we got one frame, and it was very low resolution. You're kidding me. <laughs> no. We, we sat wow. around, and we're like, um, are we ever going to be able to do video? Like this wow. is like this is an unbelievable amount of compute. That's now the a, algorithms have gotten better. That's a good perspective. Yeah. Just for people to understand. Yeah, like, yeah. And and two um, things have happened. You know, compute's gotten cheaper. This was like late 2015, early 2016, mm-hmm. I think. So compute's gotten significantly cheaper and faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the algorithms have improved a lot. Right. Those are very very early algorithms. Um, and the two really have gotten to the point where computing is still the bottleneck for us. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask about real-time, I mean, real-time streaming, and we, we have a long and complicated answer to that. But at the end of the day, it still requires a ton of computing mm-hmm. to generate a, a holographic light field. So before we dig, in, dig into that a little further, because I know that, you know, there's certain things you're discovering that's unique about what Google Cloud can do in, in your realm, but digging into the business a little, a little further is, um, and because I think these are the really interesting stories, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. We, I, lo- I love doing this, it's relatively new, but coming and meeting meet with customers who are doing groundbreaking work. Um, can you tell us more about like the business model? Who's the customer? Um, I know it's very early, um, but a lot of the magic happens in places like this, yeah. at times like this. So, <laughs> so what, can you tell us about like, what is the application of the technology? Right. And so what's the vision? Yeah, there's a multi-part answer to that, honestly, because mm-hmm. like, where's the market today versus where is it going? Very, very different questions. Mm-hmm. Um, in the short term, the main application of a holographic light field is to serve really high-end cinematic content for mm-hmm. VR and AR. Um, so that's those are the early customers we have right now. Right. We're talking to big studios, talking to high-end VR and AR content producers, um, people for whom the quality of the image is really important so that the lift around compute and cost is not as much of an issue. Mm-hmm. But long-term, um, I, I think it's just obvious that we're not going to be looking at flat screens much longer, right? What's interesting about a VR headset to me is not just you can put it on and it immerses you in a world. It's that this is a holographic display. And, you know, there's early phones that are starting to nibble at it too, but mm-hmm. your phones, your, your TVs, and eventually your glasses are all going to be holographic displays. Totally. Right? So at that point, yeah. what's it for? What are light fields for? It is what video does today. So anywhere there's video today, you're going to have something that's more holographic in the future. Yeah, look, uh, this is not a sustainable form factor. No, no. <laughs> Honestly, like how many more years of this can we have? I don't know. Right? My neck's already sore. So. <laughs> it's not only that, but it's like n- it hasn't really evolved if you think about yeah. it, right? There's bigger screens and more screens and more pixels, whatever. But it has to eventually become an immersive part of our experience mm-hmm. so that we're not like doing this right. all the time. And, and I think, you know, if you look at certain, you know, films are projecting to the future, uh, they, they do imagine this world where it becomes part of the experience, that it's not like some thing that we carry in our pocket. 
kind of look yeah. at. Yeah, a lot of those are dystopian films I've found. But. Uh, that's true. <laughs> Most of the future. That's where we're headed. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> but they do expose that. Back to the Future. That wasn't too dystopian. Oh, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. That's I mean, a fun Marty one. McFly's life wasn't great, but yeah. otherwise. <laughs> uh, but I remember the scene in that movie when like there's a shark. It's, it's, an, it's an advertising. Right, advertising. right, like, yeah. The shark comes and like. Totally, totally. Well, that's so, a hologram, right? Yeah, so we are talking to a lot of companies that are, that are working on the display part of that right now. So yeah. they're almost all very quiet startups, right? And mm. hardware takes a long time. So it's not like you're going to see it next year. But there are companies that are building basically the replacement for the TV that's fundamentally holographic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are probably a dozen companies or so out there doing it. There's some really neat stuff we've seen behind closed doors. So you need, all, you need those ecosystems to evolve in parallel, right? Yeah, and they will. I think Because you need the displays, right. but you need your technology. Yeah, well, the nice thing about To the, create the content yes, to begin with. Yes, That's why I think VR is really important is that it is, though small, it is a, a market where you can start you know, content creators can start understanding the technology, mm-hmm. can start using it, applying it to VR, and then as phones and TVs and so on start to have this added capability where they can add depth or multi-perspective, then the learning from VR and AR will start to apply there as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed seeing some of the demos, and it is definitely a different kind of image. Yeah. And, you know, the extent that I think any of us have been exposed to AR, VR, you know, those gaming engines you said that do this, Right. But what's the fundamental problem with gaming engines vis-a-vis what you're trying to do? I mean, the main problem is just they don't look very good. I mean, game engines are incredible at delivering you an interactive experience, mm-hmm. you know, calculating what you're going to see in the span of milliseconds and, mm-hmm. and you know, drawing a frame around that. Um, but they do it with a lot of shortcuts and tricks and, and underlying data representations that are not real. They're just very convenient, right? Mm-hmm. So polygons and so on. Um, as a filmmaker, if you go try to use those tools, you're fighting against the, those shortcuts all the time. The fidelity is just not very high. So mm-hmm. to date, the best use of that technology I've seen, really, the filmmaker spends a lot of time working around those weaknesses, right? They, they hide the flaws, they yeah. use clever lighting so you don't see kind of the, the, the faces don't look very good, mm-hmm. you know, all the characters wearing ponytails because <laughs> hair doesn't look very good, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so what we've tried to do is, is to take kind of the way traditional 2D filmmaking works and simply make it holographic. Uh, and so that's, that's the major difference is on set it should behave like a camera mm-hmm. and then when you're editing it and displaying it, you know, it should behave like traditional film or video where what you see in the camera is what you get out the other side. But in order to accomplish that, you have to create like technology that didn't exist, including like the codecs, kind of in the way I understand it, again as a pedestrian. You have to invent a new codec. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like from the ground up. From the ground up. That's functionally what our team has done. Um, you know, different ways of representing holographic data. So it's not just, you know, arrays of pixels and it's not polygons. It's, you know, something that's a little bit more fundamentally looking at light as the, the fundamental data source. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ways to manipulate that and optimize it and so on. And, and the net result is it does look photographic or cinematic, right? Uh, I think because it comes out of that kind of a signal processing tradition rather mm-hmm. than a computer vision tradition. I mean, there's lots of shared DNA, but right. you know, in practice we treat this as a, a problem where we're trying to record a very large data signal we care about, or at least sample it, and then try to recreate that as faithfully as possible, which is very different from what game engines try to do. So because you can't capture all the light, you basically have to kind of, the processing has to fill in the blanks. Yeah, there's, so there's two major sinks for processing in this mm-hmm. process. Um, the, after capture right now, uh, we have to send all the data up into the cloud. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of uh, uh, compute that goes into mm-hmm. creating the file itself. Mm-hmm. And then the smaller piece of compute is once you have that file or, or stream, 
uh, the client has to decode it on the fly because right. we don't kind of have all the pixels in that file format. What we really have is a way for the client device to interpolate the pixels correctly. It's like instructions. Yeah, exactly. It's similar. I mean, you could think of it a little bit like a 2D codec in that um, you don't actually have you know, data for each pixel. What you have is a series of functions that when the decompressor runs, is able to kind of fill in every single pixel you want to see. Yeah. The problem is with a VR headset, you don't know what pixels you want to see, mm -hmm. right? The person could be standing in any mm -hmm. position, looking at any angle. Mm -hmm. So you have to defer a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't sort of commit ahead of time to knowing what that decoded output is going to look like. Uh, but functionally, it's similar to, to uh, you know, video encoder and decoder. I mean, this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's cool stuff. Uh, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. So you didn't, you didn't start on Google Cloud. We did not. That's true. Um, we started on Mike's garage. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, so what are the limitations you ran into that that kind of caused your you and your team to look at GCP and, and Google and why? And then what are we hoping to achieve on this platform that is uniquely differentiated in terms of the value and performance or whatever else um, relative to the the alternatives? You know, there's a number of points, and I apologize for not having these bulleted out, but no. it's pretty straightforward. You know, there's 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 speed, there's capacity, there's throughput, mm -hmm. there's price, mm -hmm. um, and then there's some additional capabilities that we get with GCP that we didn't have elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were limited the number of frames we could process at one time on our previous cloud provider, mm -hmm. um, just because we were locked out to the, the sheer number of cores they wanted to let us spin up at any one time. That sounds like it's hard to max out. On any public cloud, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, and and it you know we probably could have gone through some hoops and, and opened some more stuff up. Mm -hmm. Our our usage is very spiky, mm -hmm. right? Because we're not we don't just have lots of footage constantly flowing over our network. You know we've been in R and D, we're a seed stage company, so you know we we do a shoot, a test shoot, and we'd plan to chew on that data for the next three months. Mm -hmm. Well, all that processing kind of goes in right up front. So we come back from a shoot, and after being totally idle on cloud, all of a sudden we want to spin up you know, as many thousands of GPU instances as we can. And so we would hit a ceiling on that pretty wow. regularly. And, and with Google, you won't. That's exactly, good, yeah. exactly, yeah. Awesome. And there's, you know, we're also yeah. very interested in things like preemptible cores because um, for a lot of our projects, we don't actually have a, a short turnaround window, right? right. If it's going to sit for even a week, no one really cares because mm -hmm. we're just putting all the data up there and processing it ahead of time so we can look so at it later. So if the machines get shut down, whatever, exactly. but the cost is so much more favorable. So it's like, that's, that's huge for us. That's terrible. huge. And to be fair, when we look at pricing out our service offering, um, one of the two biggest costs is the compute. Like we're absolutely, that is a huge part of... Uh, how accessible our tech becomes is how we can mm -hmm. control that cost so we can bring our price down over time. Yeah. So cost is, um, strangely enough, we're burning enough as a small company that that's actually a major consideration for us. Uh, I mean, this is, this is a great and, and unique uh, use case and story. And again, the objective is to bring these stories out into the marketplace and ecosystem mm -hmm. so that others are inspired to do things that they feel like are impossible. And my, my hypothesis and the reason that we're in this business and we're so, so excited about this business is, is nobody really... Um, adopts the Google Cloud platform unless they're really trying to do something transformational. <laughs> Nobody's totally. like, well, I'm just, I, you know, I was doing the same thing here in this data center. I just want to, I just want to move it, you know, to some other cloud. Right, and it's right, like right. Totally, you know, this commoditized vision of what that is with very, I think, limited imagination with regards to the value of doing that. It's like. Mm -hmm. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do it exactly the same way on Google. Like nobody ever <laughs> says that. Right. Right. So, so I love these stories, and I think they're, they're, um, there's a consistency. Is the more customers we talk to um, at different stages of their life cycle, I mean, th this is this is the promise, you know, of this tech, and I think what makes Google unique. Um, and so, 
you know, w we hope that we can push the technology, like with our engineers, your engineers, um, and really figure out what those upper limits may be if they exist at all. Like this is really exciting. Yeah, well, you know, we like to be, <laughs> we do push things to the limit quite a bit. I mean, that's yeah. sort of the premise of what we're doing. You guys must see an incredible array of strange technologies coming through uh, your offices. Yeah, especially, especially in the Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we're fortunate to be um, ourselves, you know, headquartered in, in the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Because uh, as I visit our other, you know, now seven offices, um, they're in different levels of maturity in the markets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think uh, the West Coast, especially Bay Area, uh, San Francisco is uniquely positioned to push the envelope. Mm -hmm. But then, so we're in, the, we're in the tip of the spear. We're like at the tip of the tip of the spear. Right. So we're doing a lot of learning you mm -hmm. know, with Google, with our customers. Right. Um, not only in, in like the, the engagement model of like how do clients like Bisbee need to be supported and serviced and sold to and work with and um, and then um, what are the technical things that they're going to run into and then we take it into um, the machine and we create these playbooks um, that that we kind of take nationally mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and I think the whole market benefits from these. I can see that, yeah, because I, I can tell you that I, I think we're only unusual in that we're early. I think there's going to be a lot of companies that are touching significant amounts of imaging data, mm -hmm. and their compute needs are going to go up dramatically. And yeah. the kind of compute they're doing is, is already changing, right? So I haven't touched on it yet, but you know, there's significant pieces of AI that go into what we're building. And of course, mm -hmm. things like TPUs are of significant interest That's to right. us, right? Yeah. So I think we're going to see uh, imaging in particular start to consume a lot more of those resources. Um, and you know, you see it in trivial ways already, right? Mm -hmm. With the filters and the you know, AR lenses and so on that are going on with Facebook and Snapchat. Uh, it's going to be like that, but more so. Yeah. Um, no, and you know, we're headquartered in LA, obviously, only about half of our employees now are, are LA-based. We've really spread out quite uh, deliberately in the last couple of years. But LA is still our home. We've been there, for, you know, been around for 19 years, and so we've seen just the media entertainment vertical in general, with uh, Google opening an LA data center, oh, yeah. quite again purposefully. And um, you know, I think maybe Jungle Book might have been the first movie that was rendered completely on GCP. And you know, Sony ImageWorks, who does work not only just for Sony but for a lot of the major studios, um, you know, I think they, they uh, publicly have created some open source rendering capability on Google Cloud. Mm -hmm. So I think this is kind of maybe the beginning of, of what public cloud can do, even in, in, in non um, light field, non uh, holographic applications. There, there's been a lot of heavy processing with regards to um, just graphics of all kinds in the movies. Um, in media entertainment for a long time, but I think we're still in the very beginning of um, I think what's possible in m and &E now that the power of Google Cloud is there to kind of support it. Definitely. And democratize access to yeah. this kind of technology. Well, I think there's two secular trends there that are feeding in. One is um, you're seeing these technologies that are very compute intensive migrating down from the really big budget films into just basically everywhere. Mm -hmm. You now have like sketch comedy shows that are doing like high-end VFX, right? That right. was like, would have required an Seriously. army of animators five, ten yeah. years ago. Now it's just going to be a whole lot of compute and some pretty straightforward tools. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, just more people are going to be consuming more of the compute for sure. Mm -hmm. The other trend, which is a little slower, but I think is turning the tide a bit, is um, the studios used to be really, really hesitant to take anything to the cloud. The security, right? So that's they right. still have big on-prem installations, but um, if you listen to the technologists that are down there, uh, the tide is turning, and I think they're going to start to see more and more studio content, um, you know, moving into the cloud. So you know, the Sony um, 
hack that was so good. yeah no that comes up pretty regularly <laughs> well it was very kind of close intimate to us not only because it's la based but i remember distinctly we take in like the email collaboration platform for sony imageworks uh standalone mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. google and then the rest of sony was running on premise so when that whole thing went down and it was epic and painful and massive oh, yeah. a lot of attention uh was was i think rightfully so refocused on security and, and right. process Sony Imagework was the only part of the organization completely unharmed. Right. So I think the paradigm in people's thinking is also starting to shift. And I, we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, the, the, the selling that we were doing 10 years ago was just convincing people that was as secure. <laughs> now I think people can understand if it's done right, if you do sort of the IAM correctly and everything else um, from a network security standpoint, you, no, you can't do it more securely. Right. than Google can. Right. If you right. just configure it, right? Yeah, even if you're a major Hollywood studio like Sony Pictures, right? Uh, as, as particularly against uh, a state actor, right? Like your home world system, as good as it may be, is not gonna yeah. be as good as Google's and it's not gonna be secure enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately the Sony hack, I think the wrong lessons were drawn from that at first, yeah. right? And people got even more scared and, and I think yeah. that may have slowed some of the conversations down around cloud, but I think people are understanding it better now. People always tend to overreact. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I, I'm really excited. I think m &E still relatively untapped in the way that yeah. the public cloud is, is being consumed. I love what you guys are doing in, in this because A, it's very intensive. Yep. Google's in a unique position to I think help you guys break new ground. Um, and it's also, again, we'll move the industry forward hopefully and, and, and us and Google can just play a small role in that. Um, but <laughs> Not to, so small. Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> it's hopefully enabling. It's as big yeah. as possible, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but, but it's... it's um, Anything on the tip of the spear like this is super exciting. But to the extent that um, you're able to um, foreshadow, um, where do you think you guys will be in six months, 18 months from now? Like, what are your, to the extent that you can share? Yeah. Like, I don't sound like an investor now, Tony. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not asking for yeah. predictions. Six, six months, honestly, I think we're going to be running some really interesting high end productions with some big studios. Really? Uh, not publicly. Like, I think those will be in production within six months, um, trying to get. Decision makers at these studios to understand light fields and get their feet wet a little bit. So that's that's the arc we're on there. That it, means you'll be coming to LA a lot. We're down in LA near constantly. Okay, then you yeah. should definitely stop by my Absolutely, office. You happily. Just, you got to recipro reciprocate. You know? Oh, totally. I'll, I'll come by. You, you yeah, you got to show me where the good brew pubs are. You know, yeah, all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, you know, all of our almost all of our clients and customers are down in LA. Yeah. Our production partners are down in LA. So uh, we we are. Uh, wearing wearing our way back and forth on Southwest mm -hmm. pretty regularly. Good. Um, so six months that's going to be going on. We're going to be pretty busy with like client projects basically. Mm -hmm. Eighteen months um, without sharing too much. I think we're going to bring out another interesting kind of product line. Mm -hmm. um, we should probably maybe do a catch up session at that point because yeah. I'll be able to talk more about it. Yeah. But uh, we're looking at ways to take our technology and apply it to other verticals beyond M and E. Uh, and that'll be a very interesting wow. yeah, move for us. But I can't, again, I can't talk in too much detail about it, except yeah. to say that um, it would be able to hit scale really quickly uh, in a way that, you know, VR is interesting. I think that it's not going to hit massive worldwide scale mm -hmm. on the course of a couple of quarters. Mm -hmm. uh, but other, other applications of our tech might. What I love about this business model, by the way, and the way that we engage with, with, with our customers, it actually, the economics force us to be, even if we weren't like oriented like this culturally, it actually forces, forces us to be vested in your success. Because mm -hmm. the better you do, and the more successful we make you on Google Cloud, the more you'll consume. 
Totally. Right? Like the incentives <laughs> are completely aligned. Absolutely. Uh, this is not the old world where you're going to pre-purchase a bunch of tech <laughs> yeah. from some vendor who doesn't ever, who doesn't care if it ever gets deployed, right? Because right. you already paid. Yep. Yep. Um, I just I just love the way that this drives, I think, things that were innate in us as a company from day one. Mm -hmm. But um, this new model is just a beautiful thing. We're literally vested in your success. It's fantastic. Well, so, I, hope, I hope I make you successful, Tony. Well, no. <laughs> from that standpoint, we hope we... We, we play, again, a small part in your yeah. success. And I think these relationships are really important. And um, we just wish you, you know, continued success in what you're doing. And we're here to support you in any way you see fit. And um, I won't ask you to pro project any further than 18 months. Because well, that's easy, though, because no one holds me to that. I can go five, no, 10 years no. in the future. <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even do that in my own business. So I know that, you know, uh, it'll, be, it'll be a lot of guessing at that point. But we're really excited for you guys. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for joining Cloud and Clear. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Tony. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.